1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery, a podcast about leaving ministry, thinking about leaving ministry, curious about ministry, and maybe you just uh, accidentally spelt ref- recovery wrong, and so you're here. We're glad you're here. I'm Zary Heath, and this is my co-host
2: uh, Justin Gentry. We are very excited to have you here, and we're very interested in this uh, growing community that we have here of people that are some of them are in ministry and some aren't and some just some of you are just like you know just like cool stories and we're, we're all for that so today uh, we're gonna do another little interview here we have in the not in the studio I've almost said in the studio why did I say I that
1: like that no um, in the studio it makes us sound better yeah keep going yeah in the, in studio, the studio
2: today uh because we definitely have a studio and fly people out to it's
1: very big our studio mm-hmm. totally
2: do this So in the studio we have a lovely guest and we'll go ahead and have her introduce herself and uh, then we'll get started.
1: Cool.
0: Hello. Um, Thanks for having me Um, in the studio with your large budget and (laughs) Uh expensive microphones. Um, My name is Bailey Bronner. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am an ex-pastor in the United Methodist Church. Um, I live in California with my fiance and Our four animals, which is 16 pods, if you're curious. So we're well outnumbered. And yeah, I'm just excited to be here. We'll see. I don't know what to do when I don't have a label. So.
1: Yeah, you have many labels. This is really exciting for me, Bailey uh, and I. We worked adjacent to each other and I just have loved your work. I love seeing what you do, even from the things that you create on TikTok and put out there for folks. It is so fun for me. And also just (laughs) we both left around the same time causing a literal committee to form.
2: Oh, lovely. Nice. Yeah.
1: Well, not like just about us, but like a group of people got together to talk about where are all the edgy pastors going and i don't know if i like fit in the edge because i'm a little bit older but definitely like they were Sorry, like,
2: you're, you're a young clergy you're a young clergy until you're like 60. yikes
1: yeah so i bailey's work is incredible she was in san diego and alaska before that so we usually start out by asking kind of like how long you were in ministry and kind of what got you there as brief as you can make it but just sort of give a background to sort of you said that you were ex-pastor and so to kind of get you there Something got you to being a pastor. So, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background, as much as you'd like?
0: Yeah, I could leave it. I'm an Enneagram three and grew up in the church. I'll give you some more detail. So, basically, I grew up in the church in the United Methodist Church. My parents like helped out with Sunday school and did the volunteer stuff, and so I was always at the church. And I needed a leadership role to like combat my social anxiety and just like need to perform. And so. From the time I could read, I was like four years old standing at the pulpit reading scripture. And so I've been like a professional Christian in some capacity, like my entire life and don't know how to function without that role. So in like paid and unpaid capacities, I've been in the church for 20 something years. And most recently I was a local pastor, licensed local pastor in Alaska. And then in San Diego as well, and decided to leave the church at the end of 2021. I told my church it was for mental health reasons, which like isn't a lie, but also I learned that like the more that I stayed in the church and learned about people doing this really important like Jesus-y work outside the walls of the church, like there's just so much more that you can do with this title of like pastor or like a call to ministry than... What the institutional church allows, and especially being like a queer person, like I can't. I I was tired of sitting in the pulpit and like reading off my iPad this manuscript that I had pre- that I had like pre- prepared for everybody. That I was like, I don't know how much of this is like bullshit and how much of this like like mm-hmm. I believe it, and it's like welcome. You know, like here we are. I was just kind of like sick of it, and I was like, I'm trying to be. I'm trying to tell the people who follow me or who like. Think that I have something important to say, like how important their authentic voice is and their authentic identity, and like my identity as pastor was not like it was bullshit, and I needed to like take that step out and learn what my identity actually is about beyond this title that I had been given because I went to school for enough times, so
1: here I am. Oh yeah, and I remember when I met you, you had just left a church in Alaska that had uh, had a tough time with your identity. And then you came, I'm wondering that that shift that you made from that community to the one in San Diego was the feeling like, oh, maybe if I just have a different community.
0: Yeah. And I was, so I served two rural churches in Alaska and I was not out. I was dating somebody long distance at the time. And so I was like in my first adult, like lesbian relationship and was like this is I'm in hiding, like I'm closeted right now, like I can't be out to my family, to my church community, like to anybody. And so I'm like, oh, so now going into this introduction meeting with the new church, I'm just going to be fully out in myself, and it's going to be great. And it was like really freeing in a lot of ways, because that was the most freedom I'd ever experienced in like getting to be me as like a whole person. Um, And then the more that I kind of like dug into that and served at that church in San Diego, which was like pretty progressive on paper, at least like I developed, like, queer communities and, and like, online spaces and things like that. Like, I was doing this work that I was, like, I never would have imagined myself doing that, but there was still something, like, more that I needed out of it. So, like, it got progressively better, but it still wasn't enough for me. Like, the institution just, like, wasn't working for me. And who knows, like, in 10 years, like, maybe it will, but right now it's, like, not.
2: I think, like, so many of us are a few steps ahead or were a few steps ahead and this like the institutional church, just someone described it as like, it's a battleship. It turns slowly. But I was like, I don't, I don't think it's turning at all. Like it feels I, like sometimes I mean, I like,
1: think, I feel like it kind of, it, the interesting thing is like both Bailey and I are a part of one of the most progressive uh, wings of our denomination. Mm-hmm. And like our, our Bishop is really great in so many ways and literally gave us permission to fail and try new things like certificates that said we could remember that fail and do different things. And, and I remember thinking this means that I can like do some wild things, but the truth is, it's like, you can do some wild things as long as you're also still doing all of those things. And and we've talked several times on the show about the truth of the matter is the job as it is right now, no one can do. It's impossible to meet all the expectations and needs and particularly within mainline denominations. So like your CEO, your CFO, you're also like, you know, supposed to be like a really inspiring speaker, but now let's add in also, you need to be an online personality as well as doing that. You also have to like be a therapist and as well as doing that. And then it it's so fascinating that it I feel like it really squeezed my ability to do anything creative because it was like well, when am i supposed to do that like there wasn't any room for that and i don't know i mean can you speak a little bit to that cuz you your tiktok took off like quick maybe that was just what i saw i don't i am try to do tiktok guys i am not great at it and i kind of don't understand it but i i like i feel a little creepy cuz i watch them but i don't necessarily Yeah,
2: I I, my confession is that I deleted TikTok off my phone because for every like minute I was creating something, there were probably 24 hours of just me scrolling (laughs) through it. Just
1: (laughs) consuming. So
2: I was like, I I need to, we need to set some boundaries here and I'll come back. Maybe even once this recording is over, but for... The last week, I was like, "Oh, yeah, I gotta gotta get off that." So, so tell us about your TikTok, Bailey, but also maybe how how do you how how do you relate to this thing in a healthy manner? I don't.
0: I do not. Yeah. Well, Danny, my fiance, and I like lay in bed watching TikToks on our separate screens, and then before we know it, it's like an hour and a half later. I'm like, "Oh, we should probably go to bed." Like, yeah, time. So (laughs) I get that. I think I used I started making videos to like justify how much I was watching them. Just to be like, oh yeah, like I'm doing research for my creative thing, like I don't know. <laughs> whatever. But yeah. it was also like a place where I could like authentically say the stuff that I've been trying to say in the pulpit that I didn't like connect to the communities that I was serving. And so, like something as simple as like, hey, God loves you, like your you being LGBTQ plus is not a sin. Like that's something that I can say in 15 seconds, and it's a lot more powerful than trying to craft this like creative piece in 15 minutes that's like not going to piss off the wrong people too much and like it's gonna you know like there's just a lot of politics I think at the pulpit that I was like I want to be creative and I have a message to share and I have a call that I want to follow but I can't do that from this community so I'm going to try it here and it stuck Um, and so now I have 85 something like that thousand people I think who follow now they're getting like my whole like deconstruction, reconstruction journey. So like I'm sorry for them. But um it's just been like a fun place to be able to share this message. That's like a super easy message, but there's not always a place where you can say that um in an honest way.
1: It's fascinating. I was at church today, guys. I so we're recording this on Easter, which Bailey texted me while I was in church and was like, I love that we're doing this ranger. <laughs> <Like, laughs> Or maybe you texted that to me yesterday, and I was laughing because I was like, "Yeah, yeah, we are doing it on Easter Sunday, aren't we?" But I think the the fascinating part is that I'm I'm for the first time trying to just participate because I've I one of the things that uh, for me was just this overall feeling of isolation in leadership. Like I always sat on a pew by myself. I would get up and I I would craft this 15 minute thing, that I'm like, you guys do I need to repeat that line? Because that that was gold, right? But at the same point, it wasn't hitting people or maybe it just wasn't the right. And I was listening to uh, the guy who took over after me and he was preaching and I was thinking, I just was like cheering him on. And I realized I wasn't really paying attention to the message as much as I maybe should have been because I was just the whole time like, you can do it. I know this is hard. It's Easter. And like these people And I don't know if anyone's really listening. Like, I was just I had all these thoughts that maybe like weren't actually going through his head. But I think there is something to be said about the art form of preaching and whether or not mid service is actually the place for it. Right. Because I think there, you know, it it used to be outside of the church and now it's inside of the church and we've put all these things around it. And I, I feel like you're always kind of preaching to the choir, you know, that saying. Because if they're still there, then they already agree with you. Sometimes
2: they're literally behind you.
1: Yeah, you're literally preaching to the choir.
2: Looming over you.
1: Right. As you've made this switch, so this was your first. This was your first non-leading uh, a church Easter in a while. How was that? How is it feeling to be outside? The bulb. We need you to give some folks some hope. So, some of the people in our Discord have been talking lately about, like, I think this is my last. This is my last Easter, and so not because they're passing away, but because they're leaving church. Because we're finding there is a is a pipeline between being really committed to ministry. And actually, we had Phil Drysdale on a couple of weeks ago, and he gave us the t- statistics around it. But uh, people who are very committed uh, and then deconstructing, and so it is sort of a, a pipeline in some ways. So, how has it felt? to make this shift for you?
0: It has been good. And I think that it has, it's really forced me to figure out who I am and what I want beyond my job. Because I think a lot of times my job, like as a clergy person, like was kind of was like my excuse for having poor boundaries or having like being too busy or always having to have a role, right? And like, oh, well, if somebody dies, like I need to have my phone on me, like just in case they need pastoral care at this. And like, how many people die in a year at your church you know what I mean like not that many that you need to be tied to it like I was so it was like almost like the clergy title was like a weird form of like attachment for me and being like out of the local church has allowed me to see like hey you get to like decide what you want to do with your life or like you don't have to have meetings scheduled past 5 p.m. if you don't want to, which is like, I mean, that's just like something, I guess, like a privilege of not being clergy, but I really enjoyed it. So I think that there is like, it's moderately like an optimistic thing for me. I also think that like getting to experience, I don't know, getting to experience like Big things in my life, not with the title pastor, is also like terrifying. A couple months ago, we had this family friend who like grew up in the church with me and like was like a brother in some capacities to me, like years ago. He passed away, suddenly he's like 30 something. And I had to like sit there and I'm like thinking of all these people. Like, I wanted to text my home church pastor and be like, hey, like I know how hard this is for you. Like, I wanted to like do pastoral care for somebody because that's how I know how to like be in the midst of a grief process. And I had to sit there and be like, no, like you need to like grieve this shit yourself. Like this is your job (sighs) right now. And it was so hard. I was like, I hate this. Like, I want to go back to like having a role where I don't have to confront my own shit because I'm like caring for other people. So like, that was kind of my first aha moment that I realized like, oh no, you like have to work through this. Like just getting that job title off your plate, like isn't going to solve the things that were that, it really happened because of this role that you were for so many years.
1: Bailey, I just need you to stop. You are reading the mail. The whole idea of like, as a, as a three, we bypass our feelings, right? Like if we can just like get to the, like, okay, but I'm going to like, let me, let me be efficient here. Let me be useful. I think the word is useful. I want to be useful in this moment. And that's why oftentimes I thought I was a two, right? Because oh, I love, you know, but it really is to bypass my own feelings about it like I want to have a presentable version of how I'm feeling this right like how can I smile right or make this you know help these people feel good about what's just happened so that I can avoid the fact that I actually don't know how I feel about this
0: Danny hates that about me she's like like if something scary happens or whatever I'm like okay so here's the action step for how this is gonna happen and she's like let me just be sad like I just want to like experience
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh man I I I love I'm supposed to love those people in my life. The ones that are like, yeah, just sit with the emotion for a second. Be sad. Like, that's so, so good that you have that. But it's like, yeah, I, I know that you want to package it so fast.
1: Like, says the man who's married to a therapist. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> Which I like, think is like, it's so helpful. It's it so it helpful. is.
2: It truly is. It is a gift. But it's also like, I don't want to feel it in this moment. I want to fix it. Like, yeah. that, is, that is me feeling right now. And it's not actually me feeling. I, sometimes I wonder if I'm a three. I, I tell myself I'm a seven because I feel like they're more fun. But you are a lot of fun. I would rather be fun. but Sometimes I am <laughs> super efficient.
1: I think what you brought up is really helpful in the idea of, like, I was a three in a church. So I thought that meant I needed to be the pastor, right? Like, I think... And if you don't know much about the Enneagram cult, go ahead, look it up. I I just read someone who wrote this thing that says, when I say I'm religious and not spiritual, I mean that I like Jesus, but I don't understand the Enneagram. (laughs) And I loved it. I was like, I like you. Um, Because it is something that we use, but I found it really helpful. I think it helps me kind of understand people's motivations. And I also understand sometimes why I have rubs with certain kinds of people that I don't understand, like what's the underlying thing. So it's been super helpful. But I wonder how many of us It's almost like we're the ones that would be in meetings as kids. Like I think about like youth group and they'd be like, okay, we need a volunteer to lead this. And you'd be like, I don't really want to lead this, but I will lead this. You know, I think there's this, it's like we, we are so afraid of the pause and the wait and what if it's not done well. And it's not necessarily that we have the confidence that we're going to be the one to do it best, but we're also just sort of, I don't know, it's almost like a controlling thing, but I wonder how many, I just wonder how many Enneagram threes are pastors. I feel like it's gotta be a lot.
2: I feel like it's probably a rather high percent. Well, I I think it also is, it is an interesting way when you are a pastor to exercise your spirituality, but at a distance, it is a strange, like, because you, you know, if you ask anyone in the room, oh, that person's the most spiritual one here or that person is the one, or even there might be some old person that like, well, that's the most, you know, like a retired pastor or something, but like, But usually it's like, you're the one that's like, oh yeah, he's the most in touch or she's the most in touch or they, you know, they have it together spiritually or something. They're the professional Christian. But in a lot of ways, it is a way to like have that reputation, but you're still at a distance from it. You're still, you're playing a part in a lot of ways. And, and I, and again, we've mentioned this on the podcast before. I don't think that's a bad thing, you know, playing a part, Uh, you know, Bailey, like, if you do get the phone call that somebody's died there is a part you have to play and if i'm feeling like an atheist that day like it is, that is not for me that's not the part i'm playing right now like i am i am the christian pastor to this person organizing this funeral after however many years of that though i think a lot of us do start to deconstruct because you realize that this this my spirituality was always this mask maybe
1: Yeah, always
2: this thing I practiced at a distance. So like, I guess now that you're out and you can maybe assess some of that, like what is, what is the stuff that you found out maybe is still real or still speaks? And what is stuff that's like, "Mm, I'm done. Uh, Goodbye.
0: Um, I'm still learning. I haven't like fully confronted it yet, but I do know that the church, like the institutional church was for sure a way for me to practice spirituality, like from a comfort zone and not really I didn't have to challenge those hard questions because I felt like as somebody who is playing this role in a sense, like in the most positive sense of that, I didn't like, I didn't want to make space to ask my own hard questions because I was like, oh no, nobody has these hard questions. And I knew that's not like, that's not true. But, but I'm like, there's no space right now. Like there, if someone wants to hear a resurrection sermon, they want to hear a resurrection sermon. They don't want to hear like, they want to hear, like, he got up and, like, let's celebrate and, wow, well, let's go, like, hang out in the fellowship hall, right? Like, they don't want to hear, like, oh, but here's, like, the intricacies of this story that, like, make it really hard to believe and, like, the things that I have going on in my head. I was, like, no, like, this is, there's no time or space for this, and I think that being, coming into the church and, like, serving from, like, as a queer person, as a woman, like, as a young person, like, I was appointed at 25 to be a senior pastor, which is, like, stupid like I it's stupid
2: just Um, stupid I felt already
0: like my physical presence was like challenging the status quo enough and I was like I don't want to make I'm already this like blaring red light of like watch out for this person and so like the more hard questions that I asked like I didn't want it want like me as a person to be like the focal point of the congregation or like the local church or the appointment or whatever. And so that was just sort of, and I think like I use that as an excuse to just not ask the hard questions that I should have asked for my own faith journey. Um, instead just kept pushing it off and be like, oh no, other people need to hear this message. They don't have time for this one. So I'm doing a lot of that work now. And I think the biggest thing that has helped me is not going to church and not even like being concerned about it. Like I woke up and we did an Easter egg hunt for our dogs. And that was like worship for me. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. Of course Um, you
1: did. Of course you did. it was so
0: good. Oakley picked it up in like two seconds. He like knew he needed to bite the plastic egg and then drop it. And then he got the treat inside, like the best. So yeah, like examining worship as like a spiritual practice and not as this obligatory, like 10 a.m. on Sunday morning thing that I have to do. Like that's been the most freeing thing, I think for me. And the thing that's taught me the most about Myself in relation to whatever is bigger than myself. I don't know, but it's scary. It's really scary.
1: Oh, it's it's exactly what you're saying, and we joke around, but like facing your own beliefs is one of the biggest fears that I think people who have worn the cloak in some ways of of this role, right? Like, and yet once you start to do that, like sort of actually looking at what you're talking about and saying, it's like I can't undo that, and I think about all. The folks who you know are, are trying really hard to figure out both what they believe, but also their paycheck is tied to it, and and it's this really painful process that we don't want to like. There, I get why we have weighed looking at our own beliefs, right? And then also, it's so hard. We were talking recently about how even like within this deconstruction space, like they don't want a pastor in there. Like we are somewhat problematic for people. It's a difficult space for us to be in because people assume so much. And so it's like almost like you can't find your crew to to do the tough work with. I'm just really proud of you. I'm proud of you for looking at it because I think we so often don't. And I think that it's it's scary to go, wait a minute, what if I don't believe all this? And I have like I've been really good at selling this, especially if you are in Enneagram three. Like really good at acting. Like this is a thing. I have to ask, taking a bit of a turn, you what career field did you end up in? And is that one that you feel like, because that's the thing a lot of people ask is like, what do I do if I no longer pastoring? And what is it like to have a career that might be separate from your vocation? Unless you feel like your career is your vocation.
0: No, um, I don't. But I'm working in, um, I'm trying to think of, I work, I'm an, in account management. So I work like a boring nine to five office job and I love it. It's so fun. And I just like sit and edit documents and like communicate with facilities all day. And it's like the best, like, I love it. I didn't, yeah, I, I think what's, what's been really interesting for me is like kind of on what we were talking about before, but also related to this is like, so much of my career was tied. Like I felt selfish in a way from stepping away from it because I knew that I was affecting all the people who had supported me and who had said like, oh, this person is called and like, interviewed me and like affirmed my gifts and all these, all these people that are like intimately connected to my call story in some capacity. Like, I felt like I was letting them down in a sense. Like, I think that one of my close family members, like when I, when I told them that I was gonna quit the church was like, was like, oh man, like, I just think like, it's like, they were sad and they were grieving it. And, and I felt, I was like, this is not my responsibility, but like, also I feel this responsibility to like, live up to this big dream that this person had for my life and so when it relates to like what I'm doing now and like what I see is like a forever job or whatever like I'm learning that ministry is like very unique in the sense that like you study for your entire up until you start pastoring and like beyond it for this like one very very specific like niche thing and then you stay there like as long as they'll have you and that's not like the idea of career changes or like moving to a different side of the same field like that's not really a thing. And so this I'm in this job now where there's like so much upward growth opportunity and that's super exciting for me because the enneagram 3 in me is like, oh, there's a challenge. Like here's what I need to do to succeed and like get to this next level and that's a challenge that I didn't get in the local church because it was like, oh, you're a pastor and then you like retire. Like that's what you do, you know, and there's different like intricacies in that, but for the most part, it's like you do the same thing for a long time and that's kind of it because you have this very specific like skill set. And so yeah, now being in this field where I'm like, oh, I can stay in this for a year and like it or not and then move to a different company or whatever like in three years, like it doesn't matter. And I think that's really, I don't know, it's so fun for me. And I really like the idea of like not being stuck in this one specific box. Yeah, and being like given permission, I guess, to move around to do that.
1: I love that. I love that because I think that's the people's. I think big fear is like I'm not gonna know what to do when I'm not in charge. Like I, I'm not gonna know. Or another big fear is like I'm gonna be in charge. I don't like I can't be in charge ever again (laughs) because it was so hard or whatever it might be. So this idea that like you can hop in on one rung and move up, or like you can, you can fulfill also the the thing I think is. Beautiful is like having you speak, in, even in the midst of your. I'm not sure what this all means, but like, let me be a fellow journeyer through TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is. You're still getting an opportunity to flex that muscle, but maybe in a little bit more of a rested state, and without this like thing tied in some ways to an outcome, right? Like, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lightness as well. Like something you said, Bailey, about like it doesn't matter. If you move to something else, I I'm discovering that, too, in my corporate position, like, you know, like, obviously, my job's important on a certain level. um, But I'm not like no one's eternal soul is in the balance. (laughs) I mean, you know, and or, or at least the propaganda isn't telling me that someone's eternal soul is in the balance. You know, it's a job and I do it. And I do it well. I just switched jobs recently. And like all those emotions of like, oh, I want to leave this other job. Well, like, okay, that's good. You want to be responsible, but it also doesn't matter because you're just going to go do another thing. And like to me, that lightness does actually free me up to host a podcast or even just like be with my, you know, family or be with my friends in a way that I don't feel like I could as a pastor simply because the position is there's such a weight to it. And having a job that doesn't matter, quote unquote, you know, if my supervisor is listening to this, of course, my job matters immensely. But it's that would actually freak me out. If people are your boss. Yeah, um, she's actually great. She'd probably like, it. but yeah, but having that lightness and that distance, I think that's something that I, I, I when I was a pastor, I thought, oh, like I'm doing the real work and these poor saps that you know have nine to fives i'm so glad they come and listen to me on sundays you know i mean that's i, I don't know if i ever would have stated it like that but that's kind of the attitude i think that people in ministry can have and now i'm like oh no i think they have the gold over here in the in the not ministry world and yeah that lightness is for people that are listening that are worried about leaving or worried about what they're gonna do i honestly think you're gonna love having a regular job. It's, uh, yeah, it's nice.
1: We have a section in our discord. It's in our community, like, um, called like vocational help stuff where people just talk about like the jobs that they do. And it's so fascinating to me, all the different kinds of jobs that people find. And then finding out like, Hey, I'm really good at this. Like the thing that you brought up, like, if you're so worried that you're not going to be able to like get ahead or, or whatever it might be, it's fascinating to find out like, Oh no, I like really am good at project managing, but I'm also really good at having weekends. Like that's what someone wrote. They were like, turns out there's this thing. And I think it's also the the reality of not always walking around with everybody's expectations. So I love that you can do this work online that you can get distance from because I love that even you, someone who is very involved in stuff online, it sounds like you can walk away from it in a way that you didn't used to be able to right
0: yeah and and I think that I was running towards that online community as like my escape from the in-person stuff that was like draining my soul. Um, and so now for that to just be like a fun hobby that like I think is still important work but is so detached from my nine to five and is so detached from like my family and that kind of stuff, like it's just so it's so nice because yeah, and then my ego isn't involved in it quite as heavily as I think that professional christian title was before like when we talk when we think about like i don't know i feel like a lot of us have had those moments where we're like standing for the pole but we're like i'm the only one in here that can do this right and it's like no like this five year old just like told this story that was way better than any sermon i'll ever
2: read. yes <laughs> but like you
0: still have this like your ego is involved because you're like oh i just like i kneeled on this stage while my bishop put his hands on me and like what like you know i don't know i just now I think seeing pastors as normal people has really given me a sense of like, it's actually like you were not the most important person in this room and like, that's great and that's okay. And that's why you were in that role.
1: I love that. Yeah. It's sort of like a, both seeing the importance of the work of like caregiving for people, but also a lightness around it as well. Like, I love that you said it doesn't work for me right now. We'll see. Like that that's a lightness and, and it's a step away from fundamentalism, right? Like we were even talking to um, someone recently on one of our shows and they said like, I refuse to be fundamentalist about anything. So if I'm going to talk about my beliefs, I'm going to tell you, I, I can't even be atheist at this point because I've held on to so many things in such a fundamental way that t- the lightness of playing around with it and then not having to be the expert, right? Like I think that's part of it, too, is the reality of having to be an expert. Like, even when I was listening to the songs today, because, you know, you can't help yourself. I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's not a song I would sing. Like, it was so, like, the theology was just so, like, luckily we were bought, guys. And, uh, you know, all the songs that are Easter songs, right? Like, there was a debt and somebody paid it. And according to this beautiful love song, it was us. And, like, it's this weird thing that, like, I never really paused to think about because i do love tradition in so many ways and so i'd be like oh i love this song and they're like oh no and i think everyone is... drags
2: out that penal substitutionary atonement oh, on easter I like
1: love this, penal substitution which like, sounds really dirty by the way
2: it really yeah it it, it it's it's a dirty name for a dirty theology <laughs> quite
1: frankly <laughs> it just doesn't make sense and i think it is uh i don't know i'm just really uh, grateful that you Uh, we're willing, Bailey, to be brave enough to say this isn't who I am. And that it's not a a knocking of um, who you were, because I think like when I met you, I definitely was like, oh, this is a person who has this call upon their life. And I think so often we think that call has to look a certain way or even like end somewhere. Does that make sense? Like, oh, this is what that call is about. So I just love the idea of like, oh, no, like, That was absolutely what I was supposed to be doing in that moment. And that moment is not now. And I think so many, especially Methodist clergy, uh, which is our denomination, just really feel like once they're in it, they can't get out or they or they're confused why you would get out. Like, why would you leave? Like,
2: and that's not just Methodism. Like, that's that's a lot of denominations have that like call of a lifetime kind of thing where it's like, you know, and and you know, at least for me, it was put in my head that like, if you do leave, then maybe you were never really called.
1: Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is
2: like, that's that part of me stayed in ministry as like, like, like Bailey, what you had said about like, um, you know, all these people that have invested in your life and you want to like make good on that investment. There was another part of me that stayed in ministry out of spite. You know, people, I love that
1: Bailey's like, "Yep,
2: yeah, like, but the, the, the I'll these, show you. this other group of people thinks I can't do it, or or they think that uh, I'm out, or if I give up, then I'm proving that I wasn't really called. So I'm going to stay like out of spite, and that I don't feel like I'm alone. At least there's two of us. <laughs> We're like, oh yeah, I stayed out of spite for a little bit, and so yeah, there is this pressure to stay in, and and it's it's not a, it's not good."
1: I don't think I've ever told you this, uh, Justin, but I interviewed Susan Stabil for my uh, personal podcast that I did, like my very first podcast I did, where I was challenging myself about like whether I wanted to stay in ministry. It was called Sonderless. I got in a lot of trouble for it. And it was like, honestly, like about doing a year where I just said yes to all these challenges that different experts gave me to try to figure out whether I wanted to stay in ministry or not, or like how could I fall in love with my life again? And Susan Stabil, who is an Enneagram expert... Just a lovely, lovely woman. She wrote the road back to you. Just a wonderful woman. But she said to me in her beautiful Southern accent, she said, we need you to stay a pastor, Sarah. There's far too you know, few female pastors out there. And that hit. It hurt, right? It was that like this woman who I really respect is telling me that she thinks I should stay. And I held on longer than I would have because I, those words, you know, she said, there's so many little girls that look up to you. I was like, ooh, that hurts. Did either of you feel that pressure? Like Bailey as a queer person where you're like, I got here. I need to hold up this. I need to hold it. I think about like a like a you know, concert where you're like the first one up there and then you have to hold the space. <laughs> Did you feel like that a little bit?
0: Kind of. Like I think, well, oh, I was gonna say I learned of you from that podcast. Like that's where I first like knew of you as a person. Then I realized I was going to Cal I It's like, oh my gosh, you guys, like I know this celebrity, like we're gonna work together. <laughs> I thought I was so cool and then I got over myself a little bit, but anyways, yeah, I think that for me, it was like, I was proud. I am proud of my identity so much that like being somebody who doesn't fit the mold of whatever senior pastor, whatever the title is, like that was something that was really important to me because I felt this, like, I felt this pressure from people who needed the to see someone like me in the pulpit, like, I felt that pressure, um, to continue to, like, reassure that, like, this is possible, because I don't know when the next time you're gonna see someone like me is, um, and so I think that's, like, a valid sort of form of pressure, I guess, and, like, for me, that didn't hit unhealthy, and it didn't, like, make me stay either, but I think that the, the out of spite thing is, like, more true to me, because I was, like, (laughs) it was, like, my, who was like, your physical body does not look like it should be assigned to this title. I was like, fine. Like, I will show you like, <laughs> a great yeah. sermon. Like sermon. I know what I'm doing, like that kind of thing. And so like there, there was some like drama in the church, like on the leading, like, as I was discerning whether I was going to stay or go. And that really like fueled it for me. I was like, no, like you can like take me or leave me. Like, I don't really care, but like, I'm going to stay and I'm going to like do a really good job because when I walk out of here, I don't want the like, oh, she like didn't know what she was doing or she was too young or like she didn't get the right education or like it's too progressive. for Like I didn't want that to be my leaving story. Um I wanted to like leave the church because I was ready to leave the church, not because they were like over me for some reason. So that was like the spiteful piece of it. But yeah, there was also there is also like that pressure, too, which I think was helpful and healthy for me because it did show like that pastors were not this traditional mold that I had grown up thinking. Like when I grew up, I saw like I had female pastors in the pulpit, but I also didn't know that you could be doing like ministry work from outside the church. And so I only saw this one track mold and I wanted to show that like, Hey, you can like also do stuff on the internet. You can also like do community work and like be seen as this public or like ministry figure, like there are more than one ways to be a pastor. And I think that was important too.
1: Oh, yeah. So good to hear that. I think, yeah, just because you're letting go of this piece doesn't mean you're letting go of every piece of it. I think that is really important for people to hear too. Because I think it is is—it is a spectrum, friends, uh, that listen, we're learning that. Like some people... Are out the door and like never going back. The number I just want to give a special shout out to our listeners who are people who are like I left nine years ago and I just wish you had been around then. So it's like they're like doing work on their past selves, but I just love that they still give us time and space and listen to the 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 things that people are going through. I think there's so much to be said for. I wanted to leave on my own terms, and I also think there is also something to be said. The, the part that's been heartbreaking for me in some ways is to, I have, I have good friends who are still, I mean, I'm still uh, ordained and I'm still appointed currently to um, my work that I do outside. Uh, although they don't like check in with me, nor do they pay me for anything, nor do I actually understand exactly what this is. But I, so I have good friends who are still clergy uh, within our conference and they've told me countless stories of bosses or, or folks just really like throwing me under a bus during a meeting. And it has been like oh she left because she couldn't handle she or she wasn't a good administrator and literally someone stopped them and was like hey like she rebuilt a church that was going to close so i I'd love to understand how you don't she's zero staff i would love to understand how you think that means she's not a good administrator like i would just love and like several friends have told me that they've had that experience of someone in a meeting being like oh she just didn't have the chops or whatever
2: she was really called
1: yeah, the interim three. Part of me wants to like go in the room and be like, "Didn't have the chaps," you know. Like, let me tell you what I had to do. Let me how I tell you how I didn't date and I didn't have a life for years because all I did was work, and like this was my life. This, this it. is
2: my spreadsheet of all. Yeah,
1: <laughs> here, like here, are all the things I missed because I was in the midst of this. But I think that that is letting go of my need for other people to think I did a good job was the moment I knew I could leave. Yeah, like I needed inside to say. I'm leaving and I love you. And And the funny thing is I was listening to um, Molly Shannon, I think it was, was talking about why they left SNL. And it was because they said I, I was having the time of my life. I knew if I stayed any longer, I wouldn't love it anymore. And the moment I started to like really know I couldn't be honest in the pulpit anymore, And I knew that I couldn't love the people I wanted to in the way that I wanted to love them if I kept being their pastor, like I would only be frustrated with them and knew like I had to walk away, but I had to walk away from also what people thought about me because that's like, that's the Enneagram shadow, right? Three is like, we really care what people think about us. And so I think there is something on the other side to be like, oh, people, people are still going to talk about you, even if you like did your best. And, and then you have to just kind of let go of that and go, all right, that is what it is. Is that who I really am? And I think it's only when I can say, no, it's not who I really am. Am I living into this identity that is really me? But it, the struggle is absolutely real of like, I am going to show you that I can do this. And so I think there is, if, if you need to hear it, like have permission to do what you feel you are supposed to do versus what other people feel like they need you to do. And particularly marginalized voices, because I think sometimes we feel like we have to carry the torch, right? Like, it's disturbing to me, honestly, Bailey, that you and I left because I think about all the young female clergy, there's not many. yeah. Not not in, even in our conference, it's very progressive. There really is not many. Uh, and there's getting less. There's less female, young, dynamic humans. And it's sad. And yet it's not our responsibility to keep caring. So I want, I, we we are usually around an hour. So I want to give us time for, is there anything that like, you found to be particularly helpful during this time? Is there any way, like, how are you finding community now? You stayed in San Diego, so you stayed in the area. Are there things that have been particularly helpful for you during this time? Because it sounds like you still are sort of in that, I mean, it just happened a couple of months ago. So what's been helpful so far?
0: I have just enjoyed trying to, I I think it's been really hard to try and create new boundaries, like in my relationship, like with my family, with my work and that kind of thing. And that discovering has been really healthy for me. And so learning like, oh, I'm allowed to ask for, if I don't have anything to do Sunday morning, like I'm allowed to ask for like some time alone by myself on the couch while my fiance is in the other room. Like I'm allowed to do that and that's okay. And I don't have to be I don't have to justify why I need my alone time or time to like explore or do my own thing, which is a new sort of development. What else has been helpful for me? I'm not sure. I think-
1: Or even like finding community. Cause I, I think one of the things that I found so fascinating is just that, you know, we are in spaces particularly in, in very differently for us because we get appointed to certain areas. So we end up in spaces that aren't necessarily our home. And the same was true for Justin. He moved for a job. And so finding community is often like where I am not Pastor Sarah have you found spaces where you are you're not Pastor Bailey and and then what spaces have been helpful for you
0: Well I think that the biggest gift for me has been a sense of isolation after leaving because I realized that my community was directly tied to the job that I do and people didn't know me because they knew me from the title that I had. And so now like even just getting to work in a, um, I work in a company with like a lot of young people. And so just even getting to like teams, people like, Hey, how was your weekend? And for them to like, be like, Oh, this is my coworker. Like they want, you know, they're not judging me based on my like spiritual goodness or whatever. Like, it's so nice. We also just bought a, house in San Marcos that's being built right now and so that's something also like the even just the location being somewhere that is not within like a 10 mile radius of the church is like a sense of freedom and joy for me because I'm like oh it doesn't actually matter where I live like because I don't have to because I have healthier boundaries now and don't have to like go in the middle of the night and like be there if a pipe burst like that's not my job anymore so those sorts of things have been really cool and important and even just like in my relationship like getting to not have to be so not have to be so like theological and like all aspects of my life has been really cool I had a moment the other day where Danny was like had something where she called it a god moment and I was like ew what are you talking about like and I
2: thought
0: fun thing because she's like a recovering catholic and i'm ex-clergy and so like to not be the most spiritual person in the room like i loved it i was like this is great like what are you talking about god moment like who are you so i've had a lot of those moments and i think it's just like renegotiating my boundaries with myself and like with the world and getting to have power over those again um which i haven't had in a long time
1: yeah it is fascinating i mean for those of you who aren't clergy like imagine not only like You know, your boss like kind of has say over a certain part of your life, like our entire lives were in some ways available for people to question, you know, from our morality to what we did with money to where we live to, you know, one of our former bishops is up on charges right now. And, you know, for all kinds of different things. And I just keep thinking like, whoa, like every part of their life is under scrutiny now. And what now they did do some uh not great things with finances, but I just find it so fascinating because I don't think there, I keep trying to think, is there, a, is there another career where that's true? And I just can't think like, even to your spirituality and are you spiritual enough? Like what are my boundaries then? And, and just, I feel like it's such a time of self-discovery for you. So I can't wait to meet Bailey down the road. Cause I feel like you're like, like you, you chose all the major stressors. Can I just point out, you got engaged, you bought a house, you switched your job you got new children because Danny brought kids into the, the pets into the uh equation. I mean, you've had all the life stressors, so I'm not surprised that you're just trying to figure out what does the new Bailey think?
0: Yeah, what kind of friends do I want? You know?
1: I and love like that. What
0: can friends, like even the concept, I kind of feel like like in the queer community, we talk about like second adolescence, where like you didn't get to experience these things when you were the age that normally people do experience it. And so you're doing it later in life. And I feel that sense of that with like, this, like almost transactional nature of relationships that I grew up expecting and like, assuming of people and now I'm sitting here being like, what do I want from my friends? And what can I offer to them? Because I can't offer them like, like, I'm not their pastor. So I can't offer them that. And so what is it that like, I give to a relationship and that I can receive from relationships. And that's something that like, if you're, if you're in the, you know, in a space for a long time where people expect more from you than you expect from them, like that's something that I've never thought that I would have to renegotiate, but I'm sitting here being like, Hey, what's important in a friend to me, which is like, like, there's probably a children's book out there that like talks about that, that I need to pick up. So
1: it's fun. Well, it was fun because I, <laughs> I had an experience in September where I was just taking up too much space and some of my friendships. And that wasn't what they were used to at all with me. And I was also very frustrated by anyone who wanted me to organize anything. Like it was a very, I wouldn't say it was a second adolescence, but it was like, I was so burnt out from being what I called the cruise director that I could not be the person who planned where we were going to eat. And it might sound like the smallest thing, uh, but it was like, I realized how many times in my life that has been my role. Like I'm the, I'm the social director, like I'm going to make, but then I spend the whole evening making sure everyone in the room is having the appropriate amount of fun and getting the thing I think they're going to get out of it and meeting the person I think they should meet because this could be life-changing, like all this very strange transactional stuff. So in the midst of that, and then in September went through some crisis uh, just because my life was changing so much. And I was taking up a lot of space and I had two friends who were going through a lot and they got really angry with me. And it was so funny because what we realized is I used to be over here where my friendships were all one-sided. I had to keep a lot of me hidden, and all of a sudden, I, it was like I almost, like you said, like a like a teenager who can't hear what's going on with other people's lives. I was so self-involved, and I was like, guys, I'm just learning how to reno get, and they all laughed. They're like, yeah, 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 obviously, like, but we're just like, like, of course, like it's us. We're gonna be friends forever because I thought it was like friend ending. Because I wasn't used to being able to disappoint people and then still show up. Because if I disappointed people within a church setting, they went somewhere else. And then they told everyone how disappointing I was, which is like the worst thing for me. And so this idea that like I could kind of be a shitty friend and my friends would be like, yeah, great. We've all been shitty friends. Do you remember when so-and-so was going through the breakup and like all of us had to hear about them constantly? Like, (laughs) come on. Like this is – but to know that and to know that that's what real friendship looks like, I think that's – an exciting thing that we don't always attribute to changing out a job, where you're not worried. Like, are you never going to come to church again because you think poorly of me? Actually, I had that uh, experience today. I went out to lunch with a bunch of people from church because the pastor, that's the pastor there now, is super fine with me being around. So I went out to lunch with a bunch of people, and I needed to go because I wanted to hang out with my other friend who I was hiding Easter eggs for their kids. And I just got up and left, and I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to be the last person here and uh, making sure everyone's have to be the last. I just person. was like bye guys. And I didn't say goodbye to everyone. I didn't walk around the table and hug every person and like make them all feel like I I didn't. I was just like, see ya. And then I literally walked out and I was like, this feels weird, but it's going to start feeling less weird. Like you give yourself space and time and I don't have to like dictate whether that was good or not, you know?
0: Yeah. And you're not under a microscope with the kind of language you use. Like it's, it's like, oh, she used a term that I wouldn't have used, or like, oh, that hurt my feelings. But it's not like, oh, I'm gonna pull my membership card. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not that big mm-hmm. of a deal. I think about like, I'm learning how to fight fair and also like fight honest in my relationships. And like when I argue with someone or disagree with someone, I'm so used to being like, how many therapy and pastoral care terms can I pull out to stick in here because I'm trying to rationalize the situation and like be the person who solves things because. I'm supposed to be the calm, non anxious person. And I'm like learning how to be angry and like show that in my arguments. And it's so weird and fascinating. And I feel like every part of me is like, you're being so immature. And I'm like, oh no, I'm being like a full human. And it's kind of nice. And no one's going to like resent me for this at the end of the day because they've also been a full human, like you were saying. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. 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 I think sure. <laughs> everything you're saying is so hard because it's like, yep, there it is. That, that idea that I could like, like any anger feels like too much anger, right? And then learning like you're not actually doing anyone a favor by not knowing when you're angry. Cause for me, I just don't know when I'm angry. Same. Right. And so it just boils up into disappointment. And like that's not great. And I think there's just so much to be said for just learning like, okay, this is me learning how to do this stuff. And having grace for other people now, I think, uh, who are also learning how to do this stuff.
0: And like not apologizing for that too.
1: Oof. Yeah.
0: Yesterday I'll share this with you because um, it was a learning moment and I was watching the Kardashians. So, okay. So we watch Danny and I are watching the Kardashians together. We're watching the old Obviously. ones like season, right. As you do. And so we're watching like seasons one through 20 or whatever. And then there's the new one that just came out on Hulu. So when I were like in the midst of the older ones, I want to watch the new one. And so I'm like, Hey, I'm going to watch the new Kardashian. I don't think of it as like the same series. Cause it's like eight years in the future. Right. And she gets so upset. She's like, are you serious? Like, how could you be doing this? Like that makes me so sad and upset. And I'm like, okay, like, I disagree with you. And like, it's okay. Like, you can be mad at me. Let me know when you want to talk again. Like, let's do it. Like, and it was just so freeing for me. Like, obviously it felt bad. I've been like, oh no, it's okay to like, make people like, you don't have to solve. If someone's like disappointed in you or like upset at you, even if it's like a silly thing like that, like, it's okay for them to just like sit in that. like, you don't have to solve their like upset over something that you did that like, you're okay with, you know?
1: So would you call that a God moment? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great because it is. It's like a it's a safe thing to play around with. Cause obviously Danny's not gonna be like this whole wedding thing over because you watch yeah. the newest Kardashian thing. Yeah, or, <laughs> because, or like
2: it's not gonna go to your place of work and tell them, like, oh yeah. Like, you know, Bailey has some it has some character issues that you really <laughs> need to t- to consider. Yeah. <laughs>
1: She is not patient nor kind. I have
2: had I have had as someone who did not go to our church threaten me with going to our church's board because they did not think I was Christian enough or whatever. I was renting their house and I asked them to do something that a landlord should do. So I it's like no. I told them I was like just fine. Go like I'm good. Like, go with God. Enjoy that. You know. <laughs> Um, but talk to my board. But it's yeah, having like having regular relational silos is actually not a bad thing.
1: (laughs) I think that's there. You go. We've gotten to it there, right? Like it's weird that there is, like every part of your life bleeds into every other part of your life, and and not learning to have silos, and learning to not have to include everybody in every part of your life is is an interesting a difficult thing to learn how to negotiate. Like this does not bleed into this. Like you said, I work nine to five. There we go. And now the other stuff I do is for fun. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us and for being willing. I know like you're fresh out the gate. You've got so much going on. So for you to like take time, it just means so much to us. I just respect the hell out of you. I think you're incredible. And I'm so glad you're in the world saying whatever it is you want to say and even ruining Kardashian things. That's great. And so thank you also to everyone for listening to another episode of recovery. We will, of course, love to see you in the discord. You can do that through joining our Patreon and stick around for the ending poem.
0: Thank you,
1: Bob. Oh my gosh. You are so welcome. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Rev Covery. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Bailey as much as I did and that it was as challenging for you as it was for me and really taking a look at what we feel about our own lives and what experiences we're having um, when we take off our hat as pastors or those folks who are volunteering or work in ministry. So thank you so much, Bailey. Joining us in that conversation. I want to let you know about two things that we've got going on before I share with you this week's reading. Actually, it's not a poem this week. First of all, I want to let you know that we are really enjoying the conversations going on in the discord and that you can join that the discord is simply a a gathering of folks online it's kind of like a chat room some of you probably know what discord is way more than i used to know but it has become such an incredible way to communicate with people if you're interested in doing that you can do that by supporting us through patreon and you'll get all the information there to use that all you do is go to www.patreon.com slash recovery and you can join there and then you'll get all the information about joining the discord the second one is uh the second announcement i have that is is that we have got an opportunity for um, folks to be able to support people who need support as they're transitioning out of ministry or who need to have support while they're in ministry we know that having coaching can be expensive and i as a coach want to be able to offer my services to folks who can't afford it and so soulleader.org which is an organization that helps pastor is allowing a way for people to support pastors who need that or folks in ministry, or just really anyone who needs coaching and can't afford it to be able to support the work that I do so that I can take on clients pro bono. So if you're interested in supporting that work, please go to soulleader.org and you can look up give. And if you click on that, you can give to myself, Sarah Heath, and all of that will go directly to coaching folks who can't afford coaching. Okay. So those are all of my announcements. Again, thank you so much for all of your support. I wanted to share what, uh, with you today, a reading from Glennon Doyle Melton. And if you know who Glennon Doyle is, she's pretty great. Um, and she has been an inspiration for me and her first book, love warrior actually uh, has this great quote that I thought of as Bailey was speaking. So it's kind of about sort of finding our own authentic selves. So here it is. I'm not a mess, but a deeply feeling person in a messy world. I explained that now when someone asked me why I cry so often. I say for the same reason I laugh so often, because I'm paying attention. I tell them that we can choose to be perfect and admired or be real and loved. We must decide. Friends, I hope that you decide to be real and loved.